to our, we're turning to scripture now, or in a moment. So back in September, we started a journey through Genesis, following the story of Abraham and Sarah. And as we've discovered on this journey, their story is the foundation for the whole of the rest of scripture. The salvation story, this is where it starts. It starts with them. And we've seen that it's a story about how God is at work. I can put that up for us. God is always at work, even when we can't see it. And it's a story that tells us more about God than anything else. It's a story where God reveals to these very earliest followers what he is like. And what a life of faith, of following him, is like. And it's showing us that as well. And we've learned that it's tough. Abraham and Sarah go through some incredibly long and difficult periods in their life. And we need to understand that that's the reality. Because that is where faith grows. Faith doesn't grow in sunny meadows where everything's easy and sunny and wonderful. Faith doesn't grow there. Faith grows on steep and difficult uphill mountain slopes, barren places where it's tough and we struggle to hold on. Because we have to learn to trust in God's strength and provision, and not our own. We have to learn that God's grace, his grace is sufficient for us, not just in the places where we feel strong, but in our weaknesses and our troubles and our brokenness. That's essentially what the last bit of my sermon was from last week, so you've had You've had that bit now that we didn't get to finish. If you've missed any of our Abraham and Sarah series and you'd like to catch up, please do um, uh, ask me or Anne or Derek and we can give you a link to the recordings. So last week we had reached chapter 17 and we saw God again uh, repeating his promise to Abraham and expanding it, giving some new information. So let's see now what happens next in chapter 18. If you have a Bible there, please turn to Genesis chapter 18. It will be on the screen for you as well. And I'm going to read the first 15 verses. So let's read. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. And let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. 
So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three sears of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. And while they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife Sarah? They asked him. There, in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid and so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. Let's pray together. Living God, we want more of you this morning. We've come here because we want more of you. We want to meet with you. So will you come among us now? These are not just words on a page or on a screen. They're not just words from a mouth. This is your word. It is living and active and powerful. And we long to hear you speaking to us through it. So come and open our hearts. Open us where we are closed down and come and do your work in us, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. So this is a really evocative bit of story. You can kind of see it unfolding, can't you? Like you're watching a movie. It's very visual. Abraham is resting in the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. And then through the shimmering heat, he sees three figures approaching. And in our northern climates, we need to understand that this is not a time of day when people would normally be undertaking a journey. Um, In the Middle East, shade is essential in the full heat of the day. That's why Abraham is resting in his tent. So straight away, this encounter is something out of the ordinary. There's something just a little bit strange and unusual about it. And it says in verse 1, it says, The Lord appeared to Abraham. So the narrator is telling us that this is a divine visit. But it seems that Abraham doesn't realize that straight away. In verse 2, 
it says that Abraham saw three men. So if it's God, why are there three men? It's led to a tradition where um, it's thought that these three visitors are God in the form of the Trinity, that it was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who came to Abraham under the oak trees. But the text doesn't tell us that. All the text tells us is that it was God and it was three men. Both of those things are true. And the way that Abraham responds, the way that he treats them is noticeable. He hurries out to greet them in the heat of the day. He bows low to the ground and he urges them very humbly to let him serve them. And they agree And he rushes off again as fast as his 99-year-old legs will carry him. He rushes off to find Sarah and tell her to be quick and get some uh, some bread baked. He rushes off. He runs to the herd to choose the best calf to serve the meat. And he sends a servant racing off to prepare it. And then he serves it to them with, with the bread and the curds and milk. So for desert dwellers, this was the finest feast money could buy. And there's a real sense of hurry in these verses, a sense of this hasty emergency hospitality, the kind of rushing around that you would do when someone really important turns up unexpectedly and you really want to do your best to show them every welcome and hospitality. Abraham does a lot of rushing around In these verses, it's quite noticeable. And so it does seem like Abraham has some sense that there is something out of the ordinary here about these visitors. It's really shaken him out of his dozing that he was comfortably doing. And as they sit and eat, they ask, where is your wife, Sarah? That's worth noticing because you don't normally expect first-time uninvited visitors to your house to know your wife's name and be asking where she is. They're drawing attention to her absence. I'm not certain it could be that culturally a woman wouldn't appear in this kind of situation, but the fact that they ask it does seem to suggest that they would have expected the wife to be present, there serving them and overseeing the hospitality. So is it possible that Sarah has again been edged out here as the wife who is childless? Has her status diminished over the years And maybe just as importantly, has her relationship with her husband withered as they've both grown into old age? For 13 years, all of their hopes and emotions have been invested in Ishmael, Abraham's son by Hagar. And they've had no reason, in those 13 years, they've had no reason to imagine that he is not the heir that God promised them. 
He will have become the focus of all of their hopes, the darling of the entire camp, this beloved and long-awaited son. It's his toddling first steps that everybody clapped. It's his first tooth that they all admired. It's his birthdays and milestones that have been celebrated by the whole camp. They've had no reason to think that he is not the one. For 13 years, in all of their minds, he is the one. And so I can imagine that Sarah has maybe faded into the background, the one who failed, while Hagar's star has risen ever higher. We have no idea if Sarah knows what God said to Abraham in chapter 17 that we looked at last week. We saw that last week in chapter 17, for the first time, Sarah was named in the promise. But we don't know if Abraham's told her that. A commentator called Margaret O'Dell has written a reflection on this passage and she observes that in other places in Genesis where God asks a question, a question about where someone is, in every case the question is really not about that person's physical location. It's about highlighting something else. And it's usually a problem in a relationship. So when Adam and Eve hide themselves from God in the garden and God asks, where are you? It's not their actual location that's the issue. The relationship between them has been altered forever. When Cain kills Abel and God asks, where is your brother Abel? When the angel meets Hagar in the wilderness, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, he asks her, where have you come from and where are you going? And Margaret O'Dell says that in none of these cases is the deity's question simply a matter of figuring out where people are. The question always puts a spotlight onto something else. And it's usually about a relationship. So what is God spotlighting when he asks this question of a fairly unwilling Abraham? What is he bringing out into the light here? God's questions always ask us to examine something deeper. And so I wonder if God asked you a where is question, what is he asking you? What have you been avoiding or pushing away? maybe in a relationship that needs to be brought out into the light and admitted and faced up to. 
Is there an untruth that you've been trying to pretend is true? But actually it needs to be brought out into the light now that that actually isn't true. 1 John 1 says that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And when God's light shines into our dark places, it is always to bring out truth. And it may be a painful truth, but it's always for our good to expose what is false and bring us into more light and truth. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. In her place, where she belongs. He doesn't summon her. But from her place, hiding in the tent, she hears. Maybe for the first time in all of these long and weary years, Sarah hears the words that God has not forgotten her. Her journey has maybe been even harder than Abraham's through all these years. There has been no name-specific promise for her. She's had to trust and wait without that. No bright-eyed son for her growing up, giving her hope, giving her worth. And for me, Sarah's part in this whole story, her story, her story is for everyone who feels overlooked, who feels insignificant and worthless and invisible. God couldn't possibly see me. God couldn't possibly want to do anything with me or for me. I'm not worth it. I'm just useless. I'm a failure. Other people are so much more worthy than me. And we see God doing amazing things in other people's lives, but that inner voice tells us that, well, he would never do that for me. That kind of life is for other people. It's not for me. Sarah accepts that, and she gets accustomed to it, and it shapes her life and her identity. I find it so moving that now God sees her. He's going to bring her out into the sunlight. Every insignificant person needs to hear this. That God sees you. God knows your name. His love and the loving things that he does are not just for other people's lives. They're for your life too. And he sees not just the outside bit. He sees the you who's on the inside however deep that might be buried. And he loves you. He chooses you. 
He raises you up. He will not leave you in your brokenness. He will not just leave you as you are. God could have used Ishmael for his plan. There is an easy option here. In chapter 17, if you turn back a page in your Bible, we can see that Abraham really wants that. He laughs to himself in disbelief in chapter 17 when God says that Sarah will have a son and he says, oh Lord, please may Ishmael be the one. Please may he be the one you bless. Surely he's the one. Surely this is the right answer. And there's almost a dismay in Abraham here, a discomfort, almost, no, 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 God, don't do that. We've sorted this now. Surely Ishmael's the one. Abraham is desperately trying to avoid and dodge the really unsettling challenge that God is presenting him with here. Abraham has got comfortable. He found a way to solve this problem 13 years ago. And as far as we know, he's been quite happy with how things have gone. But God will not hold back from disturbing our comfortableness if that's what he needs to do for his purposes. The answer that Abraham has settled on is not God's answer. God's not going to accept that easier answer, and God needs to move Abraham on from it. And actually, that is going to involve some discomfort, because now there's faith required again. And now everything that he had all arranged to his liking, that's going to get disrupted again. Abraham does his best to persuade God that surely Ishmael will do. I've got the answer, God. Look, this is an easier way. But God says no. I have seen Sarah. Sarah has been faithful too. And I will raise her up. I will bring her out into the light. Sarah will have this son through whom all my blessings are going to be channeled to the world. Has Abraham told Sarah what God told him in chapter 17? I think maybe he hasn't. But she hears what these visitors say now. And in her tent, hiding, she laughs. And history has paid far more attention to the fact that Sarah laughed than that Abraham laughed. But he laughed too. We just saw that in chapter 17. For the same reason. Because this is an old promise now. And they've lived with it for so many years without any sign of it coming true. And they've reached the end of their human capacity to believe. Sarah laughs to herself 
and she lists the very human reasons why this is not going to happen. Her human traits, her human thinking takes over. Oh, don't be ridiculous. How can an old woman like me have a baby now? A bit like Abraham, actually, it's just easier to not believe and to stay where it's safe. But God is saying to her, I am as good as my word. I have not brought you this far, Sarah, only to abandon you now. Even though you struggle to keep on believing, I will not walk away from you and the promise that I made. I am who I say I am. And I will do what I've said I will do. I think I laugh at God every time I doubt what's possible, doubt what he can do. And there are times for all of us when our human thinking is in control and you feel utterly powerless to solve or even address the problems that you're facing and you struggle to believe that God can or will do something, anything, do something remarkable, you laugh. And in those moments, God says to you, as he said to Sarah, I haven't changed. I haven't left. I haven't brought you this far only to abandon you. I will keep my word to you. You are not invisible. I'm coming to you. And I will lift you up. What we've seen through the whole of Abraham and Sarah's story as we've journeyed with them, we've seen that God is teaching them what it means to trust. If everything had just got sorted out immediately, they might have been amazed and grateful at God's goodness, but they would have learned almost nothing about trust. And the reality of life is that we do need to learn to trust. Answers don't come quickly or easily. Problems and difficulties don't get resolved quickly and easily. But we don't get to control the speed. Delay is not God's denial. Something taking a long time doesn't mean he's given up on us. It means he wants us to trust. God's priority is always us growing in our knowledge of him, in our relationship with him, that it's growing deeper. And for that to happen, we have to journey with him through some really challenging times just like Abraham and Sarah did, where there are no easy answers, 
And things just don't happen as quickly as we would like. The thing we need to learn about trust is that trust grows the more we practice it. Trust is believing what God says and acting on that belief, even when you don't have all the information and all the details. And trust is like a muscle. We have to exercise it. And the more you use it, the stronger it gets. The more you train your faith muscle, the further it can stretch. Trust is not just a one-off thing. It's something that you do. Something that you use again and again and again. And every time you do, it gets a little bit stronger, a little bit more deeply rooted in you. And we learn that this is a God that we can trust, not just once, but again and again and again. Back when I was a student, I can remember taking a youth group away on an activity weekend. And the thing that has stuck most clearly in my memory, it's a long time ago now, in my memory from that weekend, is the climbing wall and the abseiling. So there's a climbing tower, and with your helmet on and your harness and ropes on, you would climb up using the handholds and the footholds, and then you'd wait on the platform at the top, and then when it was your turn, you would abseil back down the wall again. So climbing up actually wasn't too bad. I managed that okay. So I'm standing on the platform at the top, feeling, well, that's the hard bit over. You know, going down is going to be a doddle. I've managed to get up. Has anyone done any abseiling? So what I discovered about abseiling is that abseiling is quite easy once you've got going. The problem was I was standing on a platform upright, and when you abseil, you abseil outwards. And your body has to be out at a 90-degree angle to the wall. And so the problem was getting from this to this. Somehow I had to get myself over the edge, backwards, and lean out. And what you've got to do is you've got to lean backwards over the edge on the rope. You've got to lean right out backwards until you've got that right angle to the wall and then you can start walking your way down. Sounds easy, but it really isn't. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do the leaning backwards <laughs> because everything within you is just screaming, no, you don't want to do that. You don't want to lean, lean backwards out over the edge. And I just froze. And what the instructor did was he said, okay, hold on to your rope and I'm just going to lower you back a little bit. And then I'll pull you up again. So we did. And then we did it again. And I leaned back a little bit further. <laughs> and then he pulled me back up again. And he got me to do that six times. Each time I leaned out a little bit further. And then he would pull me in again. And eventually I did it. I got myself right out on a right angle 
And then, and then down I went. That was no problem once you're out there. So why did we do that? I was being taught to trust the rope. I was learning to get used to the feeling of the rope holding me where nothing else was. And that it wasn't going to break. That it was strong enough to hold me as I leaned out backwards over nothingness. And sometimes that is how God works with us. Life has some really tough experiences at times. And it's like he's leaning us out at the top of the tower and getting us to learn to trust the rope that holds us. To get used to the feeling of the rope holding us. Learning to believe with confidence that it is strong enough and it's not going to break. And then as we go through life, we find that he's taught us through those earlier experiences what it feels like to trust the rope, to trust him to hold us when there's nothing else there. And if I hadn't gone up the climbing tower that day, if I had just watched the young people from down on the ground, would my knowledge of the rope have moved forward? Would I have any more knowledge of what it feels like and whether this rope can be trusted unless I experience it for myself? Abraham and Sarah's story is a story of learning to trust the rope. To trust the rope that holds you To be able to do that, to be able to trust the rope that holds you, you need to know the rope that holds you. You need to experience for yourself that it is strong enough. It is strong enough to hold you. Reliable enough that it won't fail. Personal enough that it's yours and only yours. Abraham and Sarah didn't have to trust God just once. They had to do it many times over a long journey, a lifetime's journey with him. And as we've read their story through these chapters of Genesis, we've seen how they had to learn to trust. They never had much information to go on. There were long, long silences without any sign of a child. And quite often they wobbled. It certainly wasn't easy for them. But somehow they managed to trust, to keep trusting sometimes absolutely by the skin of their teeth that this God who had spoken to them would do what he said he would do. They learned to trust the rope. God asks two questions in this passage. And as always, when God asks a question, it's never because he doesn't know the answer. 
because he wants to highlight something. So the first question was, where is your wife Sarah? The second question is in verse 13, where God says, why did Sarah laugh? Why do you think does God ask that? I think that when God asks that question, he's making them see that actually they've stopped believing. Abraham as much as Sarah because he laughed as well. I think I do quite a bit of laughing at what God has said he can do. Every time I doubt, every time my insecurity and my fear gets the better of me, every time I limit God by the terms of what I think is possible, I am laughing like Sarah did. Of course that's not possible. But God will not give up on us, even though we give up on him. There are times when we all find ourselves outside of our comfort zone, going through something we really would rather not go through. And those are times when all you've got is trust. There just isn't anything else left. You've got to trust the rope. And you will lean out into thin air, into the power of the Holy Spirit, trusting in the rope that is holding you. Only you will know what's in your heart that God may be speaking to you about today. What he's asking you to trust him for. The rope may be thin. It doesn't look like much, but it's strong. You can trust it with the whole of your weight. Let's just take a few moments of quiet. Just let God speak, and then I'll pray. Loving God, whatever it is that you're asking us to trust you for, grant the strength for us to do it. May we trust ourselves to you fully, knowing that the rope is strong and it will not break. Whatever you have been speaking to us about this morning, Let it not be lost. May those seeds go deep and may our trust in you be transformed. In the name of Jesus, amen. We're going to end with a song that we've been learning 
about stepping out into deeper waters. Let's stand and sing together, Oceans. <laughs>